Ah, hello there. Uh, the Doobie Brothers room, please. And I'll speak with any Doobie who do be in. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. <laughs> I be Roger Thomas. Which Doobie you be? The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So ben, you were uh, in Chicago last night? You're still here, are you? No, no. I was, yes, I was in Chicago. No, I'm no longer there. I did spend the night, as I tend to when I'm in Chicago, uh, I spent the night in Schaumburg. Ah, good old Schaumburg. They got cheap hotels. They're at least 45 minutes closer to home than if I stayed in Chicago proper. But I did I did the whole Chicago experience. I, I, I bought a spot on Spot Hero, parked in a, in a garage, not too okay. far from the venue that I was seeing. Gary Newman at last night, Park West. You went to Park West, okay. Went to Park West, and then here was my thing. I was like, ooh, Chicago Pizza and Grinder Company is between my parking spot and nice. Park West. I'm going to do this. I've never been. Always yeah. wanted to go. I was go all on. set to like talk to them about the fact that I don't want mushrooms on my goddamn pizza, in my oh, goddamn pizza. You screwed up. <laughs> well, Those mushrooms are amazing. If you like mushrooms. Oh, I do. I do. Well, God bless. Were you um, able to get in? Don't keep us in suspense. No, no I wasn't. Who, was who knows? Who knew on a Monday night there'd be a forty-five minute wait, which yeah. I probably could have waited for. I was there early enough to do that, but I wasn't sure how long it would take because I feel like those things probably take a while to make once you order them. Well, those guys do a brisk business over there, don't they? They yeah. sure do. Gabe, how you doing? You're archiving your records. Yes, every ten to fifteen years, I get the bright idea of making a list of all my records and but you don't buy any new records so why why would it change it should be easy by now because you've bought what three records in the last 10 to 15 years no but i never finish <laughs> not never that finish many the list <laughs> it just sounds like a good idea when i do it but now so you um, start over again start over not like i can find the file i started 10 15 years ago i probably don't even have the same computer but it's just cool to, to go through them and compile them and make a list. Somebody just said I should go to Discogs and make my list. I'm like, eh, that's it's really not that fun. It's, it's, it's kind of more work. It's more work than, it, than it's worth. Well, I mean, what are you going to do with these things? You, you don't have a turntable. You're never going to set up a turntable, so you're never going to listen to them again. I well, mean, you're just going through and like fingering the liner notes. It might be my last <laughs> round with these. You never know. Maybe I'll... Find somebody that's interested. Maybe I'll just hold on to them. But it's just music that I have been holding on to that I haven't played. So am I a poser to have them and not play them? Who knows? Is that a question that keeps you up at night? (laughs) 
No. The question that I mean, keeps me up at night is, how am I going to get these records to my next de- destination and let them sit for another 10 years and do it again? What's your next des- destination, Schaumburg? Great question. Schaumburg is... Uh, in the heart of western Chicago area, and it's very expensive. Oh, yeah? Is it? Oh, You've yes. been looking? No, I'm just saying I, I know people that live around that area, and I know the area. It's not my, uh, it's not my, my it's range. It's not your, your, <laughs> your income bracket? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, songwriter Scott Lucas, does your songwriter brain automatically start singing Don't Go Back to Schaumburg in your head because it's got the right amount of syllables? No. Happens to me all the time. No, but yesterday when uh, Burning Down the House was on, I sang Tearing Off Your Blouse. <laughs> Gabe, you know who's on the show today? Greg Saran. You know Greg Saran? Yes, I remember Greg from Cupcakes. Played uh, various shows alongside us now and again. And... Uh, Right. I, I lose track of how many guitar players uh, have gone through the ranks, but uh, he's he a nice was, guy. He, uh, he might have been the second one after Wes for, for us. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 He was right between Wes and Jonathan Polanski, I think. I don't remember exactly the chronological, the, the, yeah. the order. He, he was on the tour before the Here Comes the Zoo record came out. And then Johnny was on the tour when the Here Comes the Zoo record came out. Correct? Correct. Sounds right. Yeah. So Greg's on the show today. He's uh, he's just getting back from Saudi Arabia. So um, we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, it, it, what's, here's what's on my mind. Is Ben, is Coda going to win Best Picture? Oh, it better not. Is that what's fucking going on right now? Are you, are you hearing tell of such a thing? I am hearing tell such a thing. I mean, it won uh, the, the, the SAG Award or something the other day, or the Producers Guild Award. Uh, I mean, because I tried to watch this thing the it's other night. It's a garbage movie. And it was awful. I mean, it was worse than Green Book. I, I, I can't believe how bad it was. I had to turn it off. Gabe, have you seen this? Coda? No. I haven't. I got a joke somewhere about a Led Zeppelin record that nobody likes, but uh, I'll leave that to. I like the Led Zeppelin record. (laughs) There's a lot of good songs on the Led Zeppelin record. I saw a movie that's not up for Best Picture today. I saw the new Ty West movie. Well, don't say a word about it. We can talk about it next week. All right. I'm. uh, I've been very busy. Plus, I mean. Finally, something's playing other than a three-hour Batman movie. For Christ's sake, mm-hmm. I won't do it. I haven't done that do either. It. I would do it, but I haven't. The body of the last one isn't even cold yet, and they want me to sit through a three-hour one. What's the I last think one? So. What's the last? I don't know. One? What was it? Ben Affleck? I mean, Joker's a Batman movie. Let's let's get real about this. But uh, wasn't it Ben Affleck who was Batman? Like. It seems like three weeks ago. Yeah, but that's, I don't, I mean, yes, you're right. But, you know, the finer points of it are there's that whole DC universe shit, which is the Ben Affleck Batman. And then this belongs to the more like, you know, uh-huh. Christopher Nolan. And no, no. Whatever I, the fuck else wants. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's always, 
Oh, it's, it's darker. Something. It's yeah. every time a new Batman comes out, it's darker. Remember when they were saying that for Tim Burton's Batman? But it's dark. Oh, it's darker than the Adam West Batman? Woo. Mm-hmm. But if Coda wins the best picture, I, I'm going to freak out. I'm starting to get into this. I'm starting to pay attention and trying to get my ballot together. Um, Your unofficial ballot? Yeah, I'm not a member of the Academy. <laughs> They've got what the happened system. to Power of the Dog? I thought you were like locked, I, I locked and I think Power of the Dog was, I thought it was a lock. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we were out in L.A., there were there were uh, there were billboards everywhere for it. Not three billboards outside of Missouri, but there were three billboards on on Sunset. And I thought it was a lock, but you know how these things go, especially with this new system they have, where if the the top choice doesn't get a fifty percent consensus, they go with the second choice, and if that gets fifty percent, then that gets it, which explains why bullshit like green book wins you know i don't understand um, what you just said how can well, the second choice time. possibly so, get more if, of anything so basically it, it's it's a preferential oh ballot it's one of those it. things where you vote for more than one movie right so ah. if, if the number one preference does not get 50 percent, they go to the next one and if that gets 50 percent, that wins which to me that's not even fucking democratic. It's bullshit. You know? I mean, it's... Well, it's like, we it's we like award second best. But there are some states that yeah, run their, right. their political offices that same way. Yeah, but these are the movies. These are more I understand, important, right? I understand. Yeah. Much more important. Okay. Yeah. I still can't get over the fact that Red Rocker didn't get nominated for anything. You're going to have um, to get over it. I can't think of what my favorite movie on that list of the 10 best picture nominees is maybe power, power of the dog. dog what else is up there that we that you liked uh i like drive my car oh yeah and uh licorice pizza so uh, on the list my three favorites are those and then uh what else is on there i, I think nightmare alley i've come around it's good um and, and you come around on don't look up it's good. No, 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 no. I mean, it's such a garbage list. You got Dune, Don't Look Up, Coda, Ew. Um, so what other movies am I forgetting here? Is West Side Story in there? West Side oh, yeah. Story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I went to it. I like West Side Story. I, I don't see why it had to happen, and I don't see why it's on this list. What else is on there? Come on, Gabe. King Richard. Oh, King Richard. Oh, for God's sakes. Uh, I'm not sitting through King Richard. That's not, that is never going to happen. I don't care if you tell me it's better than Goodfellas. I am not going to sit through King Richard. No. Which are you more likely to sit through, King Richard or the Batman? The Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, how do you feel about Will Smith in general? <laughs> I, um... I don't like him. Yeah. There, I said it. I, I know that's super controversial. I know everybody loves Will Smith. It's not controversial at all. Who likes? Who really likes Will Smith? Other than people who watch Oprah. Or is Oprah even on anymore? 
people who watch The View probably like Will Smith. Which is a lot of people. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people like Blood Sausage. The uh, last movie I saw Will Smith in was where he was, he ran into his, he was yeah, being hunted Ome- by Omega Man, not Omega Man, whatever it was called. It was the Ang Lee movie. I was going to ask you about it. Did you see it at the high frame rate? I did. And God, I hate so that. It was so gross. Like, Will Smith licking an ice cream with his de-aged tongue in the high frame rate was the grossest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, fuck this. I'm never sitting through a Will Smith movie again. And I'm like, why am I here? I was like, oh, it's because of Ang Lee. And then I thought, oh, remember, you haven't liked an Ang Lee movie in 15 years. Why are you here? Those high frame rate movies blow my mind because it's just like... Hey, I'm watching the behind-the-scenes footage for a movie that they're right. shooting right now. Right. Like, what? Why would anyone put that out? It didn't it's, last long, did it? It's it's terrible. Uh, I bet it rears its ugly head again at some point. You know what they're 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 doing is they're getting us with these 4K televisions, so they're just going to gradually get us used to it, so that when it comes back out, they'll be like, "This looks right, right?" And we're we'll like, "Yeah, yeah, it looks right." Mm-hmm. You know what we're talking about, Gabe? A 5G internet or 4K TV, it's all the same to me. Yeah. Well, 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 let's talk about what you want to talk about. I'm sorry this is so boring for you. Gabe, what are you using to do your archiving for your LPs? Are you doing like an Excel spreadsheet or something fancy? It's just a Google, it's a Google sheet. Google sheet, same thing. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so I can share it and make it interactive uh and update in real time so people can so you've got a column are you compiling for... a price list no not a price list it's just a list it's just a list like what letter are you on letter they're not doing, they're not enough by the order until i sort them oh they have 131 seven inches in there already so you're just labeled. doing it by seven by format yeah i'm doing my format so okay. your label. physical media that you are currently archiving or cataloging it's not already in alphabetical order you don't have your records Organized. He's not used Daniel to be Stern. Years ago, it was enough medical order. Now it hasn't been like that in a decade and a half. Who am I kidding? Because he got lazy. Well, if you don't play him, you don't care. But if you don't play him, how do they get out of order? How Every do they get so out of order? Means something to me. Yes, they used to, and they and and the music does. But the physical records, I'm I'm unattached to them now. I, I, I'm physically detached from my records. They're just. You used Toys. to be physically attached to your records. Oh, yes. Physically? Physically. I was, physically. I was, physically, I was, you were attached. <laughs> <laughs> Mentally. I was a compulsive collector. I was a compulsive collector of records. I had uh-huh. 18 Gorilla Biscuit 7 inches at one time in my hands, and they were all mine. That's, that's, that's hoarding. <laughs> they're, they're mine. All mine. <laughs> they were. I have a picture of myself holding them. 18 Gorilla Biscuits, 7 inches, and no room in your collection for the replacements. Got it. You're right about that. So what's next after the 7 inches? 10 inches? No, I go to the 12 inches. Because I had one 5 inch. It was a Rocket from the Crypt small record. Oh, I like, remember that 5 inch, yeah. That was weird. Yeah. And Rocket from the Crypt is rough because they don't have labels for half their records. They just put them out on their own and just sold them at shows and stuff. So, right. But uh, it's just fun. It's fun to go through them. This is probably my last hurrah. It's the last time I'm going to do it. Wow. And uh, really? I think they're just, they're like mini babies to me, you know? You're, you're it, feeling they old. They were collectibles. Goodness gracious. Oh, it's yeah. like your last hurrah. I, pl- I love the music. I know. Jeez. Listen, if I can hear it. Are we the age where we start saying stuff like that? 
Yes. I didn't think because I, I last year I convinced Blake to watch Song Remains the Same with me because I was like, come on, we'll probably never watch it again. He goes, yeah, okay. That, I mean, that's what we do now. This is the last <laughs> time I'm going to read this. It's probably a, a not popular thing to say, but my records are not going with me when I when I die. What do you mean? It's who's taking the records with them when they die? The Mr. people Potter. that are hoarding them and, and spending hundreds of dollars on them are thinking they're going to be with them till the end, and they're not. Wait, huh? Wait. The music, the music is the music, but the vinyl and the covers of the records, it's just paper and plastic. The music is the music. Wow, wow man, this guy's really getting deep, isn't he? <laughs> Do you remember though that when you started streaming? Did you consider, like, you don't really own a record unless you actually own it and can hold it in your hands? I have the records in my hands that I stream, 90% so of So you don't stream new music? Do you think I stream new music? No. So okay. you don't listen to new records? Not a whole lot of them. Yeah. You're done. You're in, you are done. <laughs> I mean, you might as well die, basically, right? Because you're done. I'm not the only person that is 50 years old and doesn't buy any music. Uh, that's pretty pretty normal. You know, you turn, okay. what is it, 30, 32, and you stop buying any music. I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm not different. Yes, you are. Hey, everybody, it's Greg Saran. Greg, hey. how you doing? Good, good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Greg, uh, you just got back from Saudi Arabia with Lionel Richie. Yep, that is a weird, week for me. That is a weird fucking sentence to say. Is yeah. It, is it weird for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's cool and it's, it's weird and, uh, you know, I'm grateful to have opportunities like that, but it's definitely strange. Never would have imagined that would have happened in any lifetime, let alone mine. Yeah. Like, like in high school, you wouldn't have thought that would happen. But like a month ago, you wouldn't have thought that would happen. No. No. What, no chance. When did you get back? <laughs> Uh, Sunday, I'm a little jet lagged to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. so I apologize if I say things that make me sound like an idiot, but and it's, it's not me. It's the jet lag. I swear. It's you. Oh, thanks. It's you. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Gotcha. Come on. Gotcha. Don't sell yourself short there. Great. Yeah. A tremendous slouch. So I mean, uh, how, how was it? Um, it was really interesting. I, it was tiring, uh, getting there. It was like a 30 to 40 hours of travel just to get there. And uh, I got off, I think I got off the airplane for my first layover in uh, in Doha, in uh, Qatar or Qatar. I'm, I'm not sure how that's yeah. pronounced correctly. Um, and I go into the men's room and the first thing I see is a dude washing his feet in the sink, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like, wow, all right, this place is a little different. Um, and uh, then I went to Dubai. And then we flew into Al Ula, which is a really remote part of the desert, Saudi Arabia, and got carted to this sort of like compound um, where they had like rooms, kind of like, it was like a hotel room, but it really wasn't. It was just like a compound. Right. Uh, and it, it was different, you know. Uh, I'm vegan and there wasn't anything for me to eat. <laughs> Like all week, <laughs> except for a couple times, like it, there'd be like a catered dinner at the venue where we were rehearsing or something. But yeah, in general, like, you know, it, it just was different. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia is not the typical place you would think to go to visit. Right. Um, and we played this show in a unique setting. Yeah, it was very interesting. 
So it was just the one show? Just one show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a venue in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Okay. So you guys got there and you did some rehearsals? Like what? A, a yeah. We did one rehearsal, like a sound check, basically. Okay. And then, uh, then we went in and uh, the next day, next thing you know, we're playing a show in front of, it was a small show. It was like probably about 500 people. But, um, you know, I'm assuming it was probably like a lot of like, you know, like important people. I didn't know who they were. I, I don't know, but they seemed important to me, like you know, within that country. Uh, yeah, uh, I met some. I met some cool people there. That like there were a number of uh, people with Live Nation that were putting on the show. Uh-huh. From uh, I think they were from the UK, and they were really nice. Uh, there were there was no food for me to eat, so they were like putting together these like care packages daily of like little mini bags of Doritos and candy bars. Because mm. <laughs> like there was nothing else I could eat. So I was <laughs> like, don't ever show me a bag of Doritos ever again. I'm, right. I'm going to lose my mind. Well, yeah. you can't eat candy bars either. Can you? Uh, these were like kind bars, you know, okay. so like I could eat that. They were like dark chocolate. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, I hate to say it. I did. I broke my vegan streak. I had to eat some cheese because I literally, there was nothing I could eat. I had to eat like this cheese pastry once and I ate it like a baked potato the other time. And <laughs> that, that, that said, it, it was really an interesting experience. I don't regret it. Um, it was an interesting thing. I had, a a guy post, I, I posted about it on my Instagram page. Just like, I, I don't do political stuff on my page. I just kind of like, Hey, I'm doing the show. Here's me doing it. I, you know, I don't typically do that. I like to keep it kind of light. Um, but you know, I wanted to post it. So I posted a picture of the, of the venue and then me there. And then like where I was, uh, on the map, which I thought was fascinating. I'm like right there in the middle East in the desert. Um, uh, uh, it was, you know, pretty intense and a guy, you know, posted something on my page about the political stuff, right? Uh, which I'm aware, and mm-hmm. you know, most of us are, hopefully. We talked about that and, last week. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting. And, and this guy, he was very thoughtful. He was a musician. I don't know him personally, but he posted something. And I, I, I messaged him directly just to be like, hey, man, you know what? I'm just curious why, why you posted that on, on my you know, thing. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be accusatory or anything. I just was curious why you did. And we got into this dialogue, um, you know, via direct message about the whole thing. And it was really cool. Like I, you know, he, he had an issue, you know, I, like, you know, I don't think we should be celebrating, you know, that, that government. And right. I'm like, listen, I'm not, I'm not celebrating anything. I'm just, I was there. And, uh, you know, my, my position on things is to not, um, you know, basically say, oh, I will not participate in that. I will not, I'll have nothing to do with that. I think, you know, I know people choose that way of protesting things. I just don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a vegan, I, uh, you know, I don't approve of people eating meat. It bothers me, but I'm not going to get in their face and I'm not going to say like, Hey, you're a terrible person. Cause you eat meat. I just try to like lead by my example and live by the morality that i I care about and that means something to me. And uh, maybe in that way, some people might notice and be curious and want to know more about it. And they might think I'm crazy and whatever, whatever it is. But so like, you know, my, my thing about going over there was like, I had some reservations, but I'm a musician and you know, that's what I do. I go and I play the gig and I felt like I learned something by being there actually. So I don't have any regrets. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather talk to people that I disagree with maybe about certain things and I would rather engage 
uh, rather than just ostracize and say, no, you're, you know, you're stupid or you're wrong. And I don't want to talk to you about it. Or right. I want to, I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse people of things. I'd, I'd like to know more about why they think they, they, they think yeah. the way they think. And I'd, I'd like them to understand a little bit about why I think the way I think. And well, we maybe, don't do that anymore, Greg. That's no, that's but not, you know, I'm trying to, man. I'm trying to. Not, I, I don't know what world you live in or what century you think you're living <laughs> in, but that's not the way we do it. But you know, I've played. I've played in China. I've played in Russia. I've played in Belarus. You know, I've, I'm sure you've played all over the world too, in places that maybe don't jive with our sensibilities. And again, I'm not making excuses, and I'm not saying like it's like trying to create some kind of moral equivalency because it's not. But it, I think it's real easy to get self-righteous. I think it's really mm. easy because it feels good. It feels good. good. Like, yeah. It yeah. feels really good. You know, and I just, again, I might be way off on this, but I try to like have a little bit of humility and try to go into these situations and just keep my eyes open and, you know, and uh, participate. See well, what happens. The question I have is, is the secret to your agelessness the veganism because you look exactly the same as i saw you 20 years ago what's up gabe how are you <laughs> how's it going <laughs> Good to see you. you look great too thank you by the well, way you, you look man. amazing yeah you look like uh like gabe to me um yeah, there's only yeah one, it's i i don't know uh yeah thank you i, I don't know <laughs> so that yeah i've been vegan for a little bit but i actually i learned a lot of this from scott lucas here so he was you know you're not vegan you're vegetarian right no i'm vegetarian i can't i can't 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 make the leap too right. much pizza well, in my life i appreciate you know you had a bit of an influence on me with your uh, vegetarianism i remember going to what, what was the the chili place on broadway I used to go there all the time <laughs> five-way chili yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like oh this is you can actually eat like vegetarian food and it's not so bad yeah no it's yeah. it's okay are you yeah. are you living in chicago now uh yeah i i live here uh, but I'm in LA a lot working, but yeah, I'm, I guess I live here. It's funny. I don't work here in Chicago. I, nobody pays me in Chicago. <laughs> I just hang out here. <laughs> nobody ever gets paid in Chicago. You know that. Oh, okay, good. So it's not just me. That's no. good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for people who don't know, you came up in Chicago. Yeah. I grew up in Chicago. Um, part of the music scene to some extent in the nineties in my twenties. And what then was I the first LA. band you played in, in Chicago? Oh, uh, when I, yeah, I played in, in some interesting bands. I played in a band with, um, uh, some guys who were older than me when I was in college. Uh, it was called tick and they were like, uh -huh. you know, kind of a Duran Duran kind of band in Chicago. And they're great guys. Like, you know, some of them, Sean Mulroney and this guy, <laughs> Pat Lasasso and, you know, uh, and they were like playing Metro and Avalon and I was like 18 and, uh -huh. They're, they were, you know, anywhere between seven to 10 years older than me, but, you know, part of the Chicago scene in the late 80s, early 90s. And right. So I started playing with them. And then after that, I played in a band called uh, The Soul Vitamins, actually, okay. with a, a drummer named Dan Liali and this guy, Ramey Gitz. And we played like Elbow Room, Trio, like, you know kind of chili peppers kind of thing like uh -huh. funky funky rock you know yeah it was My like favorite. You know, yeah yeah you love yeah. that yeah, yeah it's like 92 93 but I, I again i was just like a kid i was like so glad to like be playing shows in the city and it was fun and um you know so i played in that band and then i started a band uh with a couple guys so well with uh preston graves called cupcakes mm -hmm. which uh you're familiar with we opened for you guys on uh one of our tours uh right People from Chicago have fond memories of that band. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, some people, I guess. Some yeah, people some, people, but some people. <laughs> <laughs> some people have, like, the opposite of fun. Right, memories, exactly. Whatever that is. Yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, like, I guess we were kind of latecomers to that scene uh, a little bit. But I, I guess we didn't really get our deal till like, 97, 98, around then. But, uh, yeah. When did that record come out? Finally came out in 2000. Right. Uh, must have... We. Yeah, it was a brutal process. Brutal. We recorded it in, in uh, the UK in 98, and then it came out two years later, basically, or a year and a half later, something like that. Right. With Stephen yep. Street? Yep. Stephen Street produced it. Um, uh, we uh, went on the road, I think, I think one of the first tours we did was opening for Local H. You're welcome. I think that was one of the early ones. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, sure. Were All you of guys our... one of the first bands that was on DreamWorks? Because I remember, like, everybody yeah. was sort of getting uh dreamworks seemed to be sniffing around everybody at the time you know Um, what are you saying like we were just like no 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 no, no. like but like you know i mean they were sniffing around us they didn't sign us but right right. oh oh, i see yeah got it got it got it it. but they were like Um, no one knew what they were going to do and they had all this money and then they they like they went for you guys though so there was uh Beth Halper was our A&R person, and she kind of was um, familiar with us kind of early on because her uh, husband was Butch Vig, and Butch knew Matt from the Smashing Pumpkins, our drummer Matt Walker, and so she was kind of familiar with the demos we were making at that time, yeah. and we got a lawyer, and next thing you know, there were a couple labels that were pretty into it, like uh, uh, Interscope. Jimmy Ivine and Tom Wally were pretty into it. Rick Rubin with American was pretty into it. And A&M, uh, Andy Brokaw, she was she was into the cupcakes. So, like, we got flown out to L.A., and it was one of those things where there were four or five labels that were pretty interested. So mm-hmm. I think maybe that made DreamWorks move quicker than maybe they would have otherwise, is my guess. Right. But, yeah, so we signed, we signed with DreamWorks, uh, ultimately. And then they yeah. sat, sat on it for two years. Yeah, like you know, it was one of those things we signed. We had good meetings with Interscope. We had we had a really good meeting with DreamWorks, and Rick Rubin was really cool. He was great. He was an interesting dude. <laughs> um, all of all of those experiences were cool. I don't think the, the four of us had really decided who we wanted to sign with. It was just one of those things where we went out to L.A. We got wined and dined. It was all pretty impressive. Personally, at the time, I I really liked Beth, our A and R person, but I kind of liked what Interscope was sort of pitching to us way better I, I felt like that was a better home for us just the kind of music we were making and what were they pitching that was different they were just like they're just like listen what you guys do is cool it's interesting it's weird you're like a powerhouse band but you're unique and, and strange and make your record just make your record and let's put it out and let's get you guys on the road that i t- to my recollection that was like their pitch dreamworks was a little more kind of vague but supportive they were just hey you guys we think you're great we want we anticipate you guys making a lot of records with us, but they didn't have like a real like marketing plan to start mm. off. I don't know. It it was kind of vague. I think they just were uh, appealing to you know the artistic side a bit. But I, what I I don't know. What I was hearing was like I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like it all sounds great. I just don't know what it means. And in the end, I don't think they really knew either. I think they were just trying to get the deal done. They, they were cool people. Like, they seemed nice. You know, I, I'm not saying they're trying to screw us over. I just don't think they really knew what to do with us. So, you know, they, they signed us the whole thing. 
and they go, oh yeah, go write, go write more songs. And we're thinking, well, we got songs. We like our songs. Right. We want to make this record. And they're like, yeah, we like that record, I guess, but keep writing. And then it was like the parade of producers they put us with. Uh, we did some stuff with Brad Wood and Brad was really cool. We did some stuff with, um, oh God, I'm like Ted Nicely. Nice. Yep, we were up at Smart Studios recording with him. We did, uh, there were like a number of other people who recorded with Don Gilmore. And, you know, it was one of those things where they just were just throwing stuff at the wall with us to try to see like, oh, maybe we'll find that right thing. Where I think really what we needed to do was just make our record and just let it be and like let us develop. You know, I think we were like the kind of band that really needed development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, I to this day, I always feel like there was something really there. It yeah. just needed development i don't think people knew what the fuck it was <laughs> i think they're just like i think this is cool but that singer is like i don't know if i like him or hate him or whatever but it was a thing and like as a band i feel like me matt and saul were you know a powerhouse band yeah. and and had a had a like a style and a sound and it just needed time you know uh, it but, seemed to me like you had already developed you know it seemed to me like you yeah. guys had the sound coming right out and you had huh. An idea about what you should look like and how you mm-hmm. should be presented. So all those things that you're talking about, I think that you guys had from playing with other bands in Chicago before you guys got together. You, you kind of figured out what you liked and didn't like. Maybe maybe it was the songwriting needed to develop a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I liked our songs, but maybe it was just that, especially at that time, it was getting into be the like the late '90s. So radio was changing, and I don't. Yeah. I think they really they they spent a lot of money with our advance. I think they were like, we got to have a hit on this record or something. I don't know, but I don't know if we had a hit. I don't think we do. I think we had some cool songs, but I don't know if we had a hit. The way we wrote, especially at, at that time, Preston and I were not really getting along very well. No, but we are <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, that would go back and forth, but. You know, our process kind of always remained the same, which was I would write these, uh, you know, music beds. Like I would write a song without lyrics and record it. And I'd mm-hmm. have like, you know, the whole, the whole thing, the verse, the chorus, maybe a bridge, not often, but I would record all the parts. I'd, you know, edit stuff and I'd record in my home studio and I'd give it to Preston. And if it inspired him, he would write some lyrics to it. And then we would kind of collaborate. So that was still going on. And I, I just kept doing what I did, which was like, all right, I'm going to write stuff that I think is cool and see if Preston responds. And he would write his very interesting lyrics, you know, like, you know, say what you will about him, but they were different. You know, he had mm. like this sort of style and but it wasn't really like radio friendly at that time. I don't I don't think so. They kept we kept like submitting songs that I'm like, I don't know. I think this is kind of cool. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we like it. Uh, sure. You know, but. I don't know how confident they were that either one, we had a hit or two, we could stay together. I don't know. I mean, who's to say like, you know, Radiohead was having success with records that. Yeah. I mean, were those songs hits? They were, they ended up being hits, you know, I think some of those songs were a little more developed than ours in terms of like their structure. We had more of a simple kind of formula, I guess you could say, which is to kind of just have a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, and then out. Um, it so sounds know, like maybe, that sounds like Karma Police to me. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, me personally, I love Guided by Voices, and so I was a little inspired by that. And Preston had this idea. The whole concept behind Cupcakes was he wanted these little short songs, like maybe like Ween. Um, and mm-hmm. I was thinking 
you know, yeah, Guided by Voices is like that. There's like 28 songs on a record and they're all great and they're like a minute and a half or something. So I I, I was kind of into that idea when that's kind of where it started, but I don't know. Um, We're young and it's kind of intimidating when there's like lawyers and A&R people and all this money and... You know, you're thinking like, this is the breaking point. Like either we're going to be a huge band or we're going to fail. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that go through your mind. And also like the fact that Preston and I weren't getting along, that was stressful. And all kinds of things were stressful. I had a girlfriend. I'm like, am I going to keep my girlfriend? Is she going to like run off with some other dude? I'm in London for three months. Turns out she did run off with some other dude. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's like, like going through that process is just, it's, it's just, anxiety filled but also thrilling and all the while like the big thing that like hangs over your head is like i gotta make this work this is my shot yeah and um so we were trying and you know any bit of doubt they're like oh we don't know about that song or oh we don't hear a hit you know it can creep in and then you're like wait what well i guess like do we suck like what are we doing here and some of that starts to creep in and it it was it was an interesting time and i think like had we been a little tighter as a group of people like i was very tight with matt and saul and matt and saul were pretty tight with preston although i think they were kind of like frustrated with him a lot they probably were frustrated with me too but you know we weren't like a solid group in that way we weren't like on the same team it wasn't like us against them Mm. or us against the world which i think it has to be to succeed right. in a way you know we were divided amongst ourselves as well so yeah there, there were a lot of issues for sure what, yeah, were the, but, what was the I mean, source of the tension with you and preston uh well um <laughs> how do i say this like in a way that's like really diplomatic and doesn't get me killed um by preston that's all we need to say about this and we, we can move on Oh, yeah, I mean, I'll say that like for my for my part, like I I love the guy and I've I've always loved him and we we've had times where we really like have been like brothers, and I always feel like you know that my trust in him and my trust in our relationship has always been destroyed, and I feel like he's responsible for that. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. I'm sure I bear some responsibility, but it, you know, we did a reunion show. Uh, right before the pandemic. Actually, I think Cupcakes caused the pandemic. I think it was our fault. (laughs) That's right. Because we played our one reunion show at the Metro on a leap year. Yeah. Uh, And then the next thing I know, it's like a week later, the world ended. Yeah. And um, so I I blame us. But Yeah, I saw the pictures and the videos. I was like, that's it. The world's over. Yeah, that's it. But, you know, we were like getting along great leading up to that. And then like the show came and all of a sudden it's like he was like freaking out. And I understand it probably wasn't about me. He was just freaking out with anxiety. And next thing you know, it's like we're back to the old thing. And he's like on my case and he's giving me a hard time and he's being crazy. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, I'm 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 older now. I don't have to put up with this bullshit. And so my my perspective was like, Jesus, wow, like in a way nothing's changed. But. You know, there's also like a lot of sadness, too, because I appreciated that we had reconnected and that we had kind of buried the hatchet and that we were doing something, doing the show again. And like kind of like to me, it was like sort of um, closure somewhat, you right. know, and and celebrating what we had accomplished. You know, I felt like that band had something to do with my success afterwards. You know, it was like my stepping stone into other things I did in my career. And I value that. And I value that relationship with him as troubled as it was. And I definitely value my relationship with Saul and Matt. 
And uh, so I wanted something good to come out of it because it was all kind of bad when it ended. And, you know, lo and behold, it ended badly, <laughs> which is disappointing and heartbreaking. But it's too bad. It is what yeah. it is. Yeah. It's too bad. I mean, it's those things are fun until they're not, you know? Yeah, I mean, right. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, right, totally right. There. But I think yeah, yeah. going back to like your, your troubles with, with the label and, and them not knowing what to do, I think like if you guys had made it, signed in 94 and made a record in 95, it would have been a different ball game. You were coming in yeah. at a point when these labels, they didn't know what was going on. They were falling apart and they were scared. They didn't know what to do anymore, you know? That makes sense. Yeah, probably. It's, I mean, so much of, I think, succeeding in this business has to do with timing. Timing. Um, but also, it has to do with persistence. And what I the think... The persistence had, of time. The, uh, the persistence of memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think had we stuck it out, we, you know, we would have eventually become a, like a pretty big band, or at least a band that people knew about and cared about, and we, sure. we would have had a career. Yeah. But we just couldn't, on a, on a personal level... And a creative love, we couldn't keep it together. Oh, like, I mean, but there's nothing wrong with that record. It's not on that record. You know what I mean? That record right. is. Oh, cool. The record sounds great, and it, and as far as I'm concerned, it was fully formed. Too goddamn 
A general sense of the business not really knowing what they were anymore you know yeah that makes sense which i think leads into if we had to just like sort of stuck it out and then made the second record and the third record people would be like man this band's pretty cool and then right. they'd find that record and be like fuck this record's amazing you'd be headlining pitchfork now probably <laughs> or something i don't know or we might be you know we might be playing the empty bottle i don't know right you know it's but that, that's hey yeah. man and that, nothing Easy wrong with that. you're cutting deep. I'm playing. I'm playing there Friday, dude. It's awesome. I, uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Sure it is. <laughs> so after cupcakes, I mean, what do you do? You got that that gig with uh, Sunny Day Real Estate pretty quick after that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I started playing with Sunny Day Real Estate about a month after the cupcakes broke Jesus. up. Or I, I I quit cupcakes and right. then we broke up. Yeah. So what happened? You just called Sunny Sunny Day and yeah, there's like a hotline. You? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, listen, I need a gig. I'm ready. Jeremy, I'm like, who, are, who are you? Yeah. Uh, now, my friend Nick, uh, my my really good friend Nick McCree, we had played together with Joe Cassidy and Butterfly Child. We played on his record. Mm-hmm. And I got to know Nick really well. Nick played in uh, a couple bands like Heroic, Heroic Doses with Bill Dolan and Euphone. And they had toured with Sunny Day on the How It Feels to Be Something On Tour. And so Nick knew those guys and they were about to start this tour and they wanted Nick to play bass. And then they needed another guitar player who could also play a little bit keyboards and stuff like that. And Nick suggested me. And so that's kind of how I met those guys. And we talked and I flew out to Seattle and I met Jeremy and I met William and uh, we just kind of hung out and played some music and they're like, okay, cool. This is great. And that's, that's how that happened. Wow. Jesus. That was fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really grateful. 
next thing I know, we're, I'm playing in Sunny Day and we're touring, selling out shows. Like there was a lot of enthusiasm for that band yeah. at that time, you know, because they had just reformed, released a record. I think it was pr- probably their biggest tour, actually, um, in terms of like, you know, the venues they were playing and stuff like that. That was really cool. Um, it, it was not, it was a nice like palate cleanser for me. Cause I do remember like when cupcakes, when I quit and when we basically broke the band up and got out of our record deal, I remember thinking to myself, like, I never want to do that ever again. Right. I never want to be like in a band like that with a record deal and all that stuff. I, 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 it really, it was like traumatic and, and I've told people this before, but I just, I wanted to do something where like, I knew I was a good enough guitar player that I could do something else. I wasn't right. sure what that was, but I just was ready for it. And maybe it's just luck, but the timing was great and the sunny day thing happened and it was terrific. I've just like, cool. I'm just a guitar player and, you know, kind of keyboard player playing in sunny day. And that was perfect. Uh, That's all I had to do was play this music and just be good. I didn't have to argue with anybody. I didn't have to like make those kinds of decisions and fight those battles. I just had to like show up and play and be good. Right. And And if the, the attendance isn't great, you don't have to take it personally either. Right. I mean, in a way, I think I would, though, yeah. like because it's you can't help but just be invested in whatever you're playing in. Uh-huh. But, you know, I knew that there was no responsibility for me to solve any problems on on that side of things. It was more like, you know, I had to solve musical problems, which I enjoy solving musical problems. That's right. fine. I'm comfortable doing that because there's answers to those problems. I started doing, uh, <clears throat> I guess, for lack of a better term, the hired gun kind of th- situation, session player or whatever, whatever it is. Um, cause shortly after that, I started playing with the Goo Goo Dolls and that was what moved me to LA. Right. But didn't you play with the, like a really good band before you played with the Goo Goo Dolls? No, no. I, I think he went on tour and they were a great fucking band. No, I don't uh, recall anything like they that. They were called, Oh, local H. Right, right, right. Remember that? What is that? Remember the local, band? Local. They local gave you what? your big break, yeah. Local H. Remember <laughs> yeah. them? That's right. I toured with Local H. Uh, That's yeah, right. We did. I you think did. I, pu- I puked in a passenger van on the way to that gig with Kid Rock that we were that festival thing we were playing. And uh, I think I was up because with you. Because you were like, so disgusted that we were playing with Kid Rock. Yeah, I'm like, I can't. Yeah, no, it was because I can't believe I'm now I'm playing in Local H. Like, what the fuck happened to me? Wow. You'll yeah, go to the no, Middle no. East and do anything, but Kid Rock, again, draw the line. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, that was awesome. It was the best. I I kind of feel like that was just you being like nice to me. Like, hey, man, you want to come hang out? <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, no, that was great. That was fine. I think I played on like what? I didn't play on that many songs. Like, it was probably like four or five probably in the set, you know? It was I like had you and Brian. More than that. I mean, Maybe, yeah. You know, we were doing Iggy covers. Yeah, it was right? awesome. We that was really that. fun. Right. Yep. That was really fun. I remember you and I like in the back lounge rocking out to Buck Cherry and like beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> like rolling down the highway. Oh, that's right. That they fun. were on DreamWorks too, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. When when was a band called Horse? Uh oh yeah. That would have been prior to me going to LA, I think. Okay. So that would have been like in, around the sunny daytime when right. I was doing that. And before I moved to, I moved to LA like right in January of 2002. So it was somewhere in that like two year window, me, you, Johnny Polanski and uh, Jason Bashko. Jason Bashko. So we had yeah. this, well, it was kind of like a Neil Young jam band. Was that the idea? It was, the, it was your concept. I remember that. Like you had this idea 
and I, you know, I, I think you've thought about me and Johnny and I'm assuming Jason and, uh, yeah, you had the concept, but I, you were like, you know, like television meets crazy horse. And I didn't really like embrace the television part. I'm like, cool. I just get to solo all the time. Great. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I remember. So I was just like wanking all the time. <laughs> yeah. It didn't last very long, but uh, it's kind of a cool band though. It was. And if it had stuck around, we, they'd be, you know, opening up for cupcakes at, at empty bottle. Yeah, rem- which would be I, great. I remember yeah. seeing my morning jacket and going, oh, that's what we were going for. Right, right, right. Yeah, they were kind of after what we were doing, I think. But that they like kind of nailed it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's but, a live recording of some band called Horse Stuff from Q101 that, that people, a lot of people know about. But That's right, uh, yeah. You know, that's yeah, James, is, James Van, Os- Van Osdell, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that that the band uh, band called Horse was the early sessions of the Buffalo Trace song, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Dick yeah. Jones too, and Dick Jones, and anything else? Mm, I don't think I've okay, but still used anything else. But I mean, I I saw a band called Horse at a place across the street from the Double Door. I'm not sure what the club was, but I was, was called like, the Note, Blue Note, the Blue the Note. Note at the time. Blue yeah, Note. yeah, I yeah. Remember, that was pretty. That was pretty heavy, jammy cool stuff i mean i remember that probably pretty loud for that room too <laughs> that'd be my guess you but yeah that was I, I, I like that band that was cool we and like the thing i always liked about you scott is that you were pretty <clears throat> sort of fearless like all right let's put this band together let's play some shows and let's just get on whatever bill we can and i remember playing like some actually i remember band called horse we did there was like a graham parsons tribute at the double door <laughs> and I loved it because I think it might I want to say I'd like to take credit I think it was my idea and you were like that's a fucking great idea right. so it was a Graham Parsons tribute and everyone's like really taking it very seriously like everyone yeah. doing the tribute which you know Graham Parsons he's awesome he deserves it right <laughs> he, he really does but does you know my 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 love of like the Andy Kaufman vibe like kind of concept like I was just like oh you know it would be great like we should go in there I think we were just hanging out like drinking a beer and I'm like we should like play like an Alan Parsons song right and and we did start with <laughs> played, Eye in the Sky we played Eye in the Sky we were like one of the last like acts to play the Graham Parsons tribute and we just like unabashedly like without like saying anything we just played Eye in the Sky <laughs> and we're like what. Parsons, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 I just remember Marcy <laughs> that promoted it. She was so mad at it. I know. Like, I love guys. Marcy. Marcy's the best. Yeah. I feel terrible, but like it was really like kind of like funny, like performance art, if you think about it. It was pretty great. Right. I think I, to this day I'm very proud of that. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. And I liked dur- it. During that time you're playing with Blue Man Group, right? Yeah. And yeah. Hed- and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah, that too. Yep. I mean that was before Hedwig blew up that was before the movie came out right it's before the movie yeah yeah there was a production on uh at the broadway theater and uh, it was this guy who was like he put this production together and uh, he was a total shyster he had no money like he, <laughs> oh, he didn't pay us half the time but right. we had the, the, the you know the production happened and the people in the show were great like the guy that played hedwick this guy nick was amazing um and the band was great it was like johnny polanski me saul from cupcakes joe dapier uh right it was a great band and the show was great and people showed up we never got paid really but it was pretty fun i was just those were the days where like cupcakes was done i didn't really like know what i was i didn't have like my own band i was kind of playing with you sometimes 
Blue Man Group, Hedwig, like sunny day thing happened sometimes. I was just kind of floating, you know. Right. But it, and it was. But those were good days. But everyone wanted you to play with them. I don't know about everybody, but some people. You did. I, I, I would have to say that I'm starting to feel like Greg is the skunk Baxter of the 2090s, <laughs> right? I also was in the CIA, so that you know that. There you go. Skunk was yeah. in the CIA. That's what they say. Yeah. Or, like I, I read something. Like, not they like did, oh didn't skunk play on like a fuck did he play on like a goo goo doll not goo goo dolls uh, a lemonheads record or something really i think he's on it's a shame about ray i was reading something wow. the other day wow, and that'd be surprising they brought some steely dan guys in to play on it i That's think pretty cool i mean I, i'm thinking I, I of that song that. and like i can't hear hear any skunk in it but he might you know that's pretty Gabe's cool. Gonna, Gabe's gonna look it up. Anything, <laughs> anytime skunk comes up on the show, skunk's he's in. Rad. I love skunk. I but yeah, I brought I, him I mean, up twice. I'm, I'm, I'm the whole. He plays. Uh, he plays slide guitar on Hannah and and Gabby, which is okay. 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 <laughs> I was right. Wow, that's that's wild. But you know, that's the rumor that he was in the CIA. No, that's Chuck Barris. No, he, he's he's another one, but separately. Skunk Baxter allegedly was in the CIA. So Skunk brought Chuck Barris into the CIA. And know. then they formed a gong show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just some dumb thing that was floating around my head. I, I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I guess I'm like the Skunk Baxter of the Chicago music scene circa 2001. Because <laughs> I did play with Kevin so Tiesta as well during that time. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I was in his band. I don't remember any. In the Red Terror. I was a Red Terror. I don't remember you playing with the Red Terror. Yeah. Yeah, it was me and uh, John San Juan and uh, Wes Kidd was managing. Wes, Wes brought me oh. into it. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and then I moved to L.A. And that was the end of that. So did you move to L.A. to be in the Goo Goo Dolls? Yeah, well, I didn't move to L.A. to be in the Goo Goo Dolls. I was in the Goo Goo Dolls and then I moved to L.A. Like, you don't just go, like, I'm going to move to L.A. to be in the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> Some work okay. like that. Scott. All right. Tell me, tell me how it works, Greg. Please. Tell <laughs> so me. The, the way it works the is the Goo Goo Dolls call your Goo phone. Okay. And they're like, listen, we're here. We hear you're the skunk Baxter of Chicago. And, and then you say, I heard you're the normal. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That story, whatever. What happened? Uh, I'm trying to think. I was looking for work. I was hanging around Chicago going like, okay, now what, now what do I do? Like, I, I don't know if I wanted to hang out like here all the time. And I don't know. I, I just was kind of like, I got to do something. And, um, I started kind of calling around seeing like, what's going on out there. And I called Beth from DreamWorks, uh, our A&R person. She's like, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can see if there's like any bands that are like looking for a guitar player or whatever. And apparently she said, yeah, I hear the Goo Goo Dolls are looking for a guitar player. And I just started you know, calling people to see if I could get an audition. And I did. And I flew out on my own dime, auditioned and got the gig. And that's how, that's basically how that happened. And once, once I got the gig, they said that I had to move to LA. So I did, I moved to LA. I didn't really have anything to lose. My girlfriend had already split up with me when I was playing with like Sunny Day Real Estate and making a cupcakes record. So she bailed. Uh, we don't have to bring her up again, do we? <laughs> I'm just saying, man, it wasn't cool. <laughs> no, it wasn't cool. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm fine. How long okay. did you play with the Goo Goo Dolls? 
uh, like five years, four and a half, five years, something like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's yeah, a long was, time. It is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a couple other things during that time. I played with the Fire Theft, uh, which is members of Sunny Day Real Estate. That's Jeremy Enoch, Ray right. Goldsmith, and Nate Mendel, who was playing in the Foo Fighters. Right. And then me. And we did some touring around that time. But for the for the bulk of it, I was playing in the Goo Dolls. And then I started doing some sessions and playing on records in L.A. and stuff like that. Like what? Backstreet Boys? Uh, I did. I played on a Backstreet Boys record. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Johnny Resnick, he was he was really cool to me. Like when I joined the band, he, he seemed a lot to like me in the band. And he had me playing on some of his sessions. He did a recording for a Disney film called Treasure Planet that Rob uh-huh. Cavallo produced. He brought me in on that. And then Rob started hiring me on some of his projects as well like and i had a little phase there where i was in rob's crew of kind of musicians he would hire for records so i played like, like on an avril lavigne record played on a jewel record uh the film version of rent the broadway show i played mm-hmm. on that rob produced that and then uh, a couple google dolls records and yeah it was, it was like a good run of playing on like you know big time major label records as a session player, which is right. you know, kind of cool. Yeah. So it's not during this period that you wake up and slashes lion's mouth, is it? No, that that's that was in the nineties. That was when I was like a freshman, sophomore in college. Yeah, that's when my my cousin Renee was married to Slash. Yeah. Okay. And tell <laughs> yeah. us about that. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So my uh, my cousin Renee, my first cousin, she was like in a way kind of like an older sister to me. Uh, she would come to visit a lot. She's from California. She was a model, uh, really great person. And uh, I was, you know, quite close to her. Our whole family was. She would, uh, you know, my dad's, uh, bro- dis- uh, my dad's brother, my Uncle Frank, had passed away. And Renee and Marty were his children. And so they were, you know, a big part of our family after <clears throat> Uncle Frank passed away. So Renee starts dating slash in yeah. like the late eighties, early nineties, which like at the height of the guns and roses, you know, superstardom. Yeah. And, you know, I was a rock and roll guitar player. I loved guns and roses. It was like, Holy, Holy shit. Like, is she in the I'm, patience video? Uh, not that video. She's in the November rain video. And <laughs> what's the other one? Uh, not you could be mine, but there was like another hit, not civil war, but something from illusions that she's in as well. Like, don't cry. Okay. Yeah, that one. She, yeah, yeah, she's in a couple of them, I guess. But uh, uh, November Rain's the, the good one. Yeah, okay. than that one. And if she you also, say so. She, she also appears in Private Parts, uh, the uh, Howard Stern movie with Slash right. in the opening right. scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Slash was like a member of our family. He would come out to the southwest suburbs, stay with our family, and we'd go out to like see a movie like The Godfather 3. And we'd, go into, like, <laughs> we'd go into like the Hillside Square movie theater and, you know... We'd walk in and watch the terrible movie and Slash would be like, we got to get out of here. This movie sucks. Right. We'd leave and like everybody would freak the fuck out. They're like, holy shit, it's Slash. And then next thing you know. He doesn't blend in. Yeah. No, no. We, I remember going to like a haunted house, like one of those JC's haunted house with him once. It was like me and my girlfriend and Renee and we go to this haunted house. Like I love haunted houses. I love Halloween. We get in there. I'm like, man, this is going to be so fun. And you know, like a zombie jumps out and like, and then all of a sudden the zombie's like, Hey, wait a minute, man, are you slash? So I was like, uh, like, Hey dude, hold it. It's, it's fucking slash dude. Come over here. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's like all the people like jump, they they're, like they're out of character and they're just like talking to slash. I'm like, man, this isn't scary. This is bullshit. This sucks. 
Might have been kind of scary for Slash. He's just like, ugh, you know. He could have just said, really no, nice. I'm dressed up like Slash. It's Halloween. <laughs> no, he, like he couldn't hide it. It was just like one of those things. <laughs> he just couldn't hide it, especially in those days. Because he um, had a snake around his neck the whole time. Yeah, yeah. He always walks around like that. Top hat, snake. Right. Um, yeah, so I went to visit them, and they had a they had a pet cougar, uh, like an actual <laughs> cougar, mountain lion. <laughs> oh, it was a cougar. It wasn't a lion. And, well, mountain lion. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, uh, yeah, his name was Curtis. He was amazing. He was a beautiful, deadly animal that uh, <laughs> sometimes would roam free in the house. And, uh, yeah, there was one incident where... Um, Slash didn't realize that I had left the Cobra room where I was sleeping because um, it was the only room that had. Wait, like, a wait, spare what's bed. a fucking Cobra room? That's where it's, he keeps his snakes. Well, it's it's a room with cobras in it. And yeah, like actual cobras. So it's no, this room. I, of course, one of the one of like they had all these ca- like snake cages built into the walls of this room. Uh, the big cage had a king cobra, an actual king cobra, like you know the thing. Uh, the markings yeah, on the back. The whole Greg, thing. you don't have to sell it. You tell me Slash has a King Cobra. I'm I'm on board. You're I'm with here. me. Okay. I, right. I, I I believe it. I mean, it, it's to me, it was stunning. I'm like, that's an actual fucking King Cobra. Wow. Yeah, and I'm Slash. What's the big yeah. deal? <clears throat> yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> and Egyptian Cobra, a viper, like all these crazy, deadly, poisonous snakes. Um, it was the only room in their house that didn't have either like a shit ton of guitars and amps or pinball machines in them. So <laughs> it was the one room that had a bed. Like, so that's where I slept and I, I got freaked out. I'm like, man, I don't want to sleep in here anymore. I, I, I like, I heard the snakes kind of scurrying around. I wasn't too into it. <laughs> so like I go into like the media room, like the living room thing to sleep and like slash didn't realize I had done that. And he kind of would just let Curtis roam around the house in the morning before everybody was up. And next thing you know, I wake up with like a, you know, 175 pound mountain lion on top of me with his like jaws around my face (laughs) (laughs) you know like this isn't good uh scared shitless and uh eventually slash kind of made his way into the room and he was just walking around looking for curtis and like hey dude help help and uh yeah it was pretty scary what did he (laughs) say didn't he say something like oh this is not good yeah he's like oh shit I'm like don't say oh shit <laughs> help and uh yeah i i to my like to my recollection he said something like okay listen i, I don't want to pull him off i don't like i don't want him to like think we're playing i don't want him to hurt oh. him. So he's like listen like you just give him a little like punch in his belly like he'll, he'll know it's like he'll know to jump off and i'm like fuck that no way it's like no just do it just do it and you talk to me and you know i did i gave him a little i don't i can't remember i think i'd like give him a little tap in his stomach and he jumped off and everything was cool but yeah like for a minute there i was freaking out and then the next night the northridge earthquake happened and then you're like get me the fuck out of here oh dude the earthquake hits at four in the morning and i'm back in the cobra room i'm like i'm never sleeping in the media room again right i'm gonna go back in with these dangerous creatures yeah at least they were in cages right (laughs) figured my odds were better there so then the earthquake earthquake hits hits. yeah it's like definitely all the cages fall on top of you it's pitch dark. I got thrown out of the bed. I mean, the force, I'm not kidding. Like that was a 7.4, I think. No, sorry. Not nothing like that. It was a 6.8 technically, but the epicenter was Northridge pretty close to where we were in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, and it threw me out of the bed and I didn't know what was happening. It was like a 30 second shock. 
and it's deafening. It's like a freight engine. It's like a jet engine freight train. Yeah. You know, I, I thought we were being bombed or something. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I'm from Chicago. I'm like, what the fuck? And I would try to stand up and it would throw me again. And it's pitch dark. And I figured these, like that King Cobra and that Egyptian Cobra and that Viper, they're out. And like, they're going to kill me. Right. And or whatever the bombs that are falling down on Los Angeles are going to kill me or, you know, whatever it was like, I just like I'm dead. This is it. And, uh, you know, survived, of course. And, uh, you know, the shock, aftershocks kept coming. And and you know, we went back to Chicago after that. I'm like, I'm never going back to that place ever again. But I did. How many uh, uh, earthquakes have you been through since then? Oh, probably like five or six. Not yeah, it's many, just but, nothing. No, but that that one is a big one. Like, here's the thing about L.A. Most people living in L.A. right now, I don't maybe not most, but like a lot of the people that have moved there within the last, say, 20 years, which that's a lot of L.A. residents. They have no idea what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> like, I, I hope it doesn't come. I really do. I hope it's like the next big quake is in like 25, you know, uh, 20 you know for you know i hope it's a long long time from now uh but it's coming and when it does holy shit well they've been saying that since 1975 yeah well it's overdue but yeah and and we're talking about like you know the concept of time with earthquakes it's it could be 20 years it could be 300 years i guess you know like it's but it's coming right that pressure builds between those tectonic plates and it's something's got to give holy fuck like it's so scary it like going through something like the little ones the rolling ones they're a little unsettling but they're kind of fun it's no big deal this is shit where literally like i remember going out into the kitchen of their house and they had a nice house yeah and like in the kitchen there's like three inches of broken ceramics and glass all over the floor (laughs) like like everything in those cabinets goes pouring out and shattering in a million pieces all over the place. So like if you're in that room, you're shredded to ribbons, right? You know, I don't see how you survive that. Um, you know, some places just collapse on themselves. Like granted, like there were casualties and, and some deaths in, in that quake, it, you know, probably could have been a lot worse, but like, you know, you see some of these bad earthquakes that happen like, you know, in Asia and stuff. And a lot of people die. It's, it's, yeah. it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. And LA like is, has a funny way of kind of just being like, no, nah, no, nah, it'll be cool. And you know, it's like, it's going to happen. It, that freaked me out. It got me out of LA. Like in terms of like, I sold my house in LA in 27, like uh, beginning of 2018. I, cause I, I was just like, man, I feel like I'm living on borrowed time here. Right. Like, I got to get out. You don't want to be there when the music stops. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm paranoid, but I, I think that experience really shaped me. <laughs> I right. think it really like resonated like, wow, this can actually happen. Like we don't really have anything like that here in Chicago. You know? <laughs> no, like that's why I'm like Chicago's all right. Yeah, it's cold. Who cares? Yeah. No big deal. Right. Yeah. You can deal. You can deal I, with it. I can handle that shit. Yeah. I got a coat. So what about that Liz Fair tour? Uh, that was kind of almost three-fourths of a cupcakes reunion wasn't it yeah yeah so liz reached out to me i had i had not met her before but i think she got my number i don't remember who but she got my number from somebody i think steve smith a manager friend of mine and um i talked to her she's like hey i gotta do this exile in guyville um tour where i'm gonna like do the whole record like the anniversary 15 year anniversary of guyville and i was 
really excited about it. I'm like, I love that record and yeah. I'm a fan. And you know, and she's like, yeah, all we're going to do is play the songs from Guyville. And I'm thinking like, this is <laughs> the greatest opportunity. This is going to be perfect. And she's, I was like, so who's your manager? She's like, I don't have a manager. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what do you got going on? She's like, I have a booking agent and a lawyer and nothing else. Like, how do we do this? And I thought, all right, well, I'll put a band together and we'll figure it out. And I ended up tour managing and guitar teching and musical, <laughs> like band leadering, musical directing. I, I, I'm like, let's just figure it out, you know, because she gave me the deal memos. I saw what the, uh, the guarantees were. And I'm like, okay, I made a budget. I created a spreadsheet and just figured out, right, like, let's just do this. I, I, I mean, I remember asking her, like, what, what do you want out of this? She goes, well, I want to make money. I want to stay in nice hotels. I don't want to stay in shitty hotels. I'm not doing it if I'm going to stay in shitty hotels. And I want to have fun and I want it to be great. I go, cool. I want all those same things. I want to make money. I'm going to stay in nice hotels. I want it to be great. So we worked a budget and figured that out. And I just like did rental gear. I teched myself. Like we rented vans. We flew in. We did, we did it really like, you know, kind of like, you know, DIY, like old school, like band on the road kind of thing. Minus the nice hotels and making money <laughs> right so, right um so i Wait. at first like yeah go ahead sorry no, no no you go ahead i'm sorry so at first i got um two friends of mine uh nick mccree from sunday day real estate the guy that hooked me up with that gig my friend who played with the butterfly child uh project and then uh dan Ali, who i played with in that band soul vitamins that i mentioned right and i i got those two guys to be in the band we rehearsed in la and we did a first run of that tour and it was really great we you know i tried to be really true to that record i talked to you Brad were Wood. oh thanks yeah I, I i love that record and i'm like let's really do it let's get like the gear um that she used on that record and let's really try to nail it and um i talked to brad wood about like what liz uh, played on that record and he was like mm-hmm. yeah it was just this like shitty pv amp that had like a solid state pv amp that had like some chorus on it great it's pretty that's pretty much it so we got an amp like that and um it was really cool and then the next run those guys couldn't do the tour. So then I was thinking, I wonder if Matt and Saul from Cupcakes would be into this. And they were totally down and they didn't have like anything too pressing at that time. So we got that, I got those guys in on it. And then, you know, the first iteration of the band was really great. They're, they're very different actually. Like I, I would say like, probably Dan has more of a Charlie Watts kind of approach, probably more similar to what the way Brad plays. Right. And like Matt was just Matt, you know, right. doing his thing, which was incredible. They're both great. They're just like different. Um, and Nick, Nick was like doing like the Leroy Bach thing. Nick's actually, they, they have some similarities in the way they play. Um, or Saul was just like Saul doing his like muscle rock thing, but also like really creative, you know, melodically and stuff. And it, it was like, yeah, all of a sudden, it, like the, I would say, like the Matt Saul and me Guyville tour was more like had more muscle, you know, mm-hmm. like it was a different kind of vibe, but it was cool. And we we did uh, some shows with the uh, Married Men with your band, or not with you guys, but we were in. Uh, I remember we were at South by Southwest at the right. same time. That was that right. was really fun. Yeah, that was that was great. We played Metro uh, with that that iteration of the band. I remember Joe Shanahan being like. Liz, do you realize you have one of the greatest, you know, Chicago rock bands of all time as your band? And Liz is like, "Who? What? What are you talking about?" Like she, she'd never fucking heard of the Cupcakes. Like she had no know. idea what was behind her. She was on the cover of Rolling Stone by then. She didn't give a shit about yeah. any freaking Cupcakes. She didn't know. Yeah. Like, she, I mean, I'm sure she liked Cupcakes. She liked eating them. She didn't know anything about the band. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but she's like, "Oh, cool, great." I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no actual 
you know, bakery items. She just likes uh, cupcakes. Like people like cupcakes. Who doesn't like everybody likes cupcakes. Yeah. It's, it's not a shot. No, no. Yeah. But, How could it but, be? Uh, <laughs> but no, but that was really fun. Liz is really cool. I really like, she's great. I, I don't play with her anymore. Um, but you know, we're still cool. We talk and stuff and she's great. She's got a, a young band now. That's uh, a bunch of guys. I actually hooked her up with her band kind of like hooked her up with a guy who hooked her up with her band. She wanted like some younger dudes, probably that yeah. she could, you know, different deal, but yeah, well, she's great. What, she likes younger dudes. She can do and Yeah. It's less fair. You can, you can do that. Why, why I'm, a, I'm a younger guy. I'm a younger dude. Well, I mean, you don't have not the that time old. for, you don't have the time for God's sake. You're talking about Joe Walsh, B 52s. Uh, come on, dude. Tell me about Joe Walsh. What is amazing. that like? Amazing best i love playing with joe walsh he's he's a really cool guy he's really funny unbelievable player like unbelievable unbelievable he lives and breathes it i i really think it like he likes messing around with um like ham radios and stuff like that and <laughs> okay and playing guitar like right. that's I, I i get the impression that's all he likes and he loves his wife but he you know he that I feel like he just lives and breathes it. It's just a part of him. It's inspiring. Like so, the band. It was those James drummers. King records are so oh, unbelievable. So and that live record, what the fuck? He's a monster, and he sings incredible. Like yeah, you know he's he's a little older now, but full voice, original keys. No no taking it down a half step, whole step, none of that. All cool. original keys. Yeah, kicking ass. Uh, two drummers on stage. No uh-huh. plexiglass. Good B, guy playing. Thank God. Guy, yeah, guy playing B three with a Leslie, just cranking. Yeah. Bass player playing an SVT eight eight ten cab. Uh, Joe had two amps, always two amps. Usually like kind of like combo style, but like I'm talking like Fender Twin and like Marshall Bluesbreaker. Right. Dimed. Just and then, fucking loud as shit. Yep, and I had like one combo amp and then like a Princeton Reverb. Like I had two amps, but. One of my amps was a little like lower wattage, you know, I can't no. be louder than Joe. No, you can't. And no, 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 I wouldn't want to be. No. And, but you know, full amps on stage, no in-ears, just like, you know, wedges loud and Joe just doing his thing and playing. And it was amazing. Like, are you I just taking couple... it all in? Just like, oh yeah. Just listening to him. Like, and like even rehearsals, I'm like, man, all right, I got to be on my toes here. Cause yeah. he's always listening. He's got great ears and he cares. And he's like, he didn't even know me that well. Like I auditioned for him at his house in the, in the Hills. <laughs> and, uh, I just showed up at his house and he's like, Hey, yeah, come on. Let's, let's just play something. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm like just jamming blues jams with Joe Walsh in his house. <laughs> right. He's like, all right, well, you sound pretty good. I, I guess this will work out. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it was kind of like that sort of, you know, and, um, you know, you're playing and you, you just, I had a couple solos here and there. It's the Joe show as it should be. And then every now and then I'd get a solo or we'd trade some stuff. And, you know, it'd be one of those things where you just want to get him excited. You know, you want to play something because when he's into it and you play something cool, he goes, yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he looks at you and he does that. And you could tell like he can't help it. And he's just like, all you want to do is just, it's like, you know, come on, dad. See, I'm trying. Right. You know, you just want to impress him. And he's so cool. Like, um, and I, I felt like I kind of had to earn it a little bit. Like, I think he was a little like suspect, like just, he didn't know me. And so he was just like, well, let's see what you got. And so there's a, I think there was like a phase of really trying to prove myself. 
that I could hang. And, and I, I think in the end, I think I did win him over enough to where he was like, all right, man, I really like what you're doing. And, uh, we would go, sometimes he would say like, or his, his guy, Smokey, who was like his, been his like personal assistant guy, manager guy for years and years. He'd be like, yeah, Joe wants to hang out with you and go guitar shopping today. Like, okay, cool. And, and we'd go to like some vintage guitar shop and it'd be me and Joe just trying out guitars, talking about stuff. And it was really, really, really cool. That was really been cool. so cool. Yeah. Not only that, I got to meet like all the legends with Joe because they would come out of the woodwork to hang, yeah. sit in at the concert or hang backstage. So like I got to play with Levon Helm right before he died. Uh, yep. He came, it was about a couple weeks before he finally passed away. And we were on the, we were in Jersey somewhere and he came and uh, sat in with us. His dog sat on the stage right next to the drum kit. What did you play? Uh, we played Rocky Mountain Way. Okay. We might have played, oh, uh, I, I Shall Be Released, or I Will Be Released, the Dylan Great. song, right? Yeah. Right, right. And might, we might have played something else, uh, maybe a band song. I, can't, I don't remember, but um, it was amazing. I, I, honestly, I was so caught up in the moment that, like, if Levon was over there just doing his, like, shuffle right. thing. And, like, yeah. it was just so, it, so Levon. It, it was just like, that's it. Right. It was so cool. Um, played with Ringo Starr. Ah, <laughs> I played with the freaking Beatle, you know, amazing. And, and that amazing. show was actually, it was at the Troubadour for Joe's record release party. Oh, not to mention that Jeff Lynn was on stage as well. And cause Jeff Lynn produced Joe's that record, the uh, analog man. Right. And, um, we were rehearsing at third encore leading up to the show at the, uh, Troubadour and Jeff Lynn was like rehearsing with us that week. And he was on my side of the stage, stage, right? Like playing a telly, like right next to me in rehearsal. It's yeah. Jeff Lynn. Yeah. And, no, I, dude. <laughs> I, and I'm like, I'm like, Hey Jeff, man, that, that, I like that Telecaster. That's nice. He's like, Oh yeah, mate. Yeah. He's like, what do you have there? I'm like, Oh, it's mine's a 66 Telecaster. He's like, Oh, Oh, it's brilliant, mate. Wow. How cool. <laughs> like, it sounds really good. You know? And he saw me doing something where I was do, like doing this, like, like playing behind the nut, like the little harmonic stuff behind the nut yeah, yeah. into like a delay. And I was like, you know, manipulating it during the song turn to stone. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and Jeff's like, Oh, that's really, f- that's a great sound. You know, I would do that on records. I'd like to put like harmonic elements that were high in the, you know, frequency spectrum and just, you know, sprinkle them on tracks just to like give it some ambience. And, you know, he just was full of like little things. I was like, this is so fucking cool. Yeah. And, so Jeff Lynn's on stage with me. Ringo Starr's playing drums. I look out in the crowd. It's like Stuart Copeland, David Crosby, like you know, you know what I mean. Like it, it's just like what the hell? Like that would that like when you play with Joe, that's what that's what happens. Got to play with Billy Gibbons a couple times. Uh, Brad people like Brad Paisley come out and want to sit in, and yeah, you know, just uh, Jimmy Page comes to hang. Oh, like, and you're killing me, Greg. You're, you're just killing me over here. It was, it was crazy. Like, and it's Joe. Like they all love Joe. You know, he, yeah. he knows all those guys. He's friends with all so of them. So Joe had Jimmy Page's guitar, right? Is that, is that, uh, the story goes, um, that let's see. So Jimmy, again, I, there are people that are probably going to say like, no, that's wrong. But the way that yeah. I've heard the story from the people that I trust, like, that are actually guy, you know, with Joe and Joe himself. My recollection is that Jimmy Page was playing Telecasters like through Led Zeppelin three. I think that's kind of like was his main guitar. That's it, right. I, you know, so that's that's my perception of it, and that I think 
the James Gang was opening for The Who or something, and Jimmy was saw James Gang play and saw Joe playing Les Pauls with this big tone and you know talked to it like they they were talking afterwards and Jimmy's like man that sound is incredible and like he's like how do you he's like what is that is that Les Paul what's up with that Les Paul he's like oh yeah, yeah this thing sounds great and Jimmy's like man it's amazing and the story goes that Joe's like oh you can have it if you want <laughs> and alleged like ostensibly he gives Jimmy Page this Les Paul and that's when Jimmy started playing Les Pauls. That's how I heard it. There's another one that's kind of cool too. Like, I guess that Joe gave Pete Townsend the the sound on Who's Next that was Joe telling Pete, like like Joe found this uh, Gretsch guitar and I think it was like a Fender, like like a, some kind of 310 combo amp. Right. Like, I don't know if it was like a Vibrosonic or something, something like that. Like some, one of those kind of amps with like three tens, uh, like, I think it was like a silver, silver face. I, I don't, I, not silver face, but like silver grill, um, something like that. But anyway, he was like this guitar with that amp, that's like, you got to use that. And that was what I guess Pete used for the bulk of who's next. Right. As the story goes, I, yeah. I don't know, you know, I mean, like Pete started, enough, but Pete started playing, uh, Les Pauls too, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, I think Joe is a bit of a pioneer. I think all those guys really respected him. And I mean, obviously though, Jimmy Page and Pete Townsend were doing their own thing and kicking ass on their own. But I think, you know, th- those guys, I think were just like, you know, getting inspired from each other, I think. But like Joe has this lunacy about the way he plays and there's like yeah. this offhanded brilliance. I mean, Page has got that a lot too but yeah there's just yeah. something really funky about the way joe does it and it's like yeah what, what the what, what's going well, on he's a he's, wild man he's a total yeah. wild man and it, it comes out in his playing he's authentic and i remember like we were we were rehearsing in austin texas for the first rehearsals my first time rehearsing with joe we were there for like two weeks rehearsing at this rehearsal space and people like you know eric johnson stops by mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like, it's crazy. And so we're hanging out and the road cases are kind of getting loaded into the rehearsal room. And Joe's like, hey, uh, you see that case over there? I'm like, yeah, what's what's that about? It was like an old orange beat up road case on wheels. Eagles had eagles on it. And uh-huh. like, you want to show you what's inside? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he opens the case and it's a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> Yeah. Road case. He's like, that's how I would make my hotel room into a suite. Yeah. <laughs> and literally like before. dude like chain would chainsaw the wall out of his hotel room so he could make his room into a suite. <laughs> like he really actually did that. And yeah. it, like the chainsaw had a road case. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take care of it. Yeah. I guess the story goes that he learned all that crazy stuff from Keith Moon, like early yeah. on when James Gang was touring with I think it was the was it the Quadrophenia tour. There was whatever tour that was that where James Gang was opening for the Who. I yeah. guess. Uh, I guess Keith, Keith Moon and, gave him the, the the chainsaw, and he may, gave, yeah, that may be yeah the yeah. guitar right yeah that that might yeah actually that might be the case. And he's like we're um, square, <laughs> but I you know that Joe's he was a wild man, and his playing is like that, and man, just great. It was a brief period of my career playing with Joe. It was like probably two years, maybe two and a half, something like that. But it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. And then after that was B-52s? Yeah, they kind of overlapped. So Joe was kind of ending his run because the Eagles were about to go out and the B-52s, 
that opportunity came along uh, while I was still doing Joe at the tail end of it. And so it kind of just worked like kind of like the cupcakes and in, into the sunny day thing. It just kind of the timing was kind of amazing and it worked out. And you couldn't ask for two styles that are more different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I told so Joe had this dinner. To, it was kind of like a farewell dinner to this iteration of the band in L.A. Yeah. It was really nice. Like he had to, actually I have it on my wall here. I sh- I'm going to show it to you. Okay. Um, this was at this dinner that we were at. He presented us this picture of the band and uh i don't know if you can see it's kind of like reflecting but there, there you uh, go okay that's yeah. that's a good angle okay yeah he gave us this at this last dinner for this that's band. you in the white dress right yeah that's me yeah yeah okay yeah i've, I've gained a little weight since then but uh yeah uh, yeah so and i've gotten a little shorter um so at at, <laughs> at this dinner you know he was kind of just like uh, saying like, oh, everybody tell me what you're doing and what's, what do you got next? And I go, yeah, well actually Joe, I'm playing, I'm, I'm going to start playing with the B-52s. And he goes, wait, is that that band with those girls with those big bouffant hairdos? <laughs> I go, yeah. He's like, ah, oh, that's great. They're great. <laughs> like he, he, he approved. Yeah. Good. Yeah. He's like, they're weird. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Yeah. He loved the chainsaws. Yeah. Uh, thank God they don't. <laughs> I mean, what did you learn from the B-52s? Oh, um, I just had a lot of, f- I've, I've been having a lot of fun with them. They're just, they're great. They're what, you know what I learned? I learned that, um, you don't have to grow up, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause they haven't and they're living like these wonderful lives and they're, they're just authentic. They're who they are. And I feel like they're the same people they were when they started the band in like 76 or 77, whenever that was. It seems like they just want to bring people joy, as dumb as that sounds, you know? It's like, that's pretty much it. They just can't help but be who they are. Yeah. I don't think there's any element of like, well, we should do this because that's the thing that'll like make us really successful. I, I really think they're just, they were just, I don't think they get enough credit for being one of the most unique bands in the history of pop music and rock. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like who sounds like that band? Nobody, nobody, nobody. Nobody. And it's because like, I I had the, the good fortune of kind of, kind of writing a song with them. Not really. It was, you know, the animated uh, adult swim show Squidbillies. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember that one. So we, they wanted us to do a version of their theme song for an episode and we had like a session in LA for it and we get into the session and you know, the, the theme is what it is. Um, but we get in there and actually I got, uh, um, Ken Schluter to, uh, engineer nice. it and like, yeah, like they were like, we need a, someone to do this. I'm like, Oh, Ken. So yeah. Ken did it, which was, and he was great. And we get in there, like we're already record. It's the band. And I was replacing, um, Keith Strickland, uh, who was originally the drummer in the B-52s, who later became the guitar player when uh, Ricky Wilson passed away. And right. so, you know, original guy. And, he, you know, Keith wrote most of the music. So we get in, we get into the studio. We're ready to record. It's all a thing. And everyone's like, okay, so what are we going to do? And <laughs> no one's like, I don't know. Like no one had like was prepared. So I kind of like prepared like a couple riffs just in case. Yeah. I was thinking maybe no one's going to write anything. So maybe I should come up with like a riff or something. So I did, 
you know, it wasn't anything like groundbreaking. It was just kind of like similar to like, you know, rock lobster, or right. Claire, like it's right. surfy, you know, playing on a, my, the, the Moserite guitar. You're not going to reinvent that wheel. No, no, no. But it, it was cool. Like, so I, I'm just like, well, I got this like riff. What do you guys think of this? And they're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so that like, all right, cool. And we started coming up with an arrangement and it was really fun for me just to watch Fred, Cindy and Kate how they collaborate because it's not like they have a method it's not like they do that i don't think they realize they're doing it or they're it's not like something they plan out right but fred's like well i got these lyrics and so we have to arrange it to those lyrics and then cindy's like well i'm gonna sing this part because i have this idea for this melody and the case like oh well i want to do this thing it's literally like they all throw their idea into like the soup and yeah. then it's it like nothing gets discarded. It's all right. part. It's like it's like gumbo. It just it's all part <laughs> of the thing. And that like when I had to like my first gig with them was literally I got hired by them the day essentially the day before the first show I had to play. I had to learn their whole set in a night yeah. on a flight from L.A. to New York. Yeah. And. Yeah trying to learn those songs and memorize those arrangements. It's crazy because nothing goes for eight bars or 16 bars or 32 bars. It's like nine bars and then 17 bars and then whatever. Like it's, it's basically those sections go as long as Fred needs to finish his lyrics or Cindy or Kate. Right. It's all in there. And it's brilliant. Like it's, it works. It doesn't seem boring. It doesn't seem weird because they all have so much personality and character to what they bring to it. And, you know, the, the, the musical ideas that Keith and Ricky wrote and, and Kate would write musically too, but, um, it's just really unique. So I, I learned that, you know, you don't have to grow up and you can just be as weird as you want and it could be cool. Just go with it. Yeah. And also they've changed things a lot more than bands who are overtly political. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like to my recollection, they were the first openly gay band that I remember. Yeah. It definitely changed people's attitudes, you know? Yeah. Huge influence on culture in ways that I don't think people realize. Um, you know, they're, they're great. And Fred made a record with uh, Albini. Steve Albini. Yeah. 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 yeah cool yeah, record, too. It is. I was uh, I like DJing one night and he came in. And I, I regret this to this day, but I put on Monster in my pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he like took a sip of his drink and walked right out. Uh, I, was yeah. like, oh, I wasn't trying yeah. to do that. Yeah, sometimes he's like, he, you know, sometimes he'll react that way. The other, you know, if you caught him on a different night, he'd be dancing. Yeah. Depends. On his, he had a birthday. That's what I was hoping for. Well, you know, it could have been the next night that he would have been dancing. He might have been in a bad mood that night. I don't know. But um, I remember uh, he had a birthday. We were on tour and we were in, here in Chicago. And uh, he had a bunch of friends here. And we went out to like uh, Las Carola. Uh, over yep. our uh, Italian place, right? I love that place. So good. So good. Yeah. So we went there and then he was like, well, let's go out. Let's have, you know, let's have some fun. So we went to uh, Club Foot. I took him to Club Foot before it uh, disappeared. Yeah. Chuck's place there. And uh, yeah. we we walk in and, and Chuck, you could tell Chuck uh, and his wife, I forget his wife's name, um, who worked there all the time too. But um, they were like, holy shit, Fred Schneider. Like you could tell like like Chuck was like stoked. And right. he's like, man, this is great. And Fred's having fun. He's with like, you know, his friends and me and a couple of my friends. And uh, whoever was DJing that night in that back room started playing Love Shack. That was, was me. Going, Get it. You were. Wait, no, I don't think. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it should have been you. You should have. It got sounds to very similar to what happened, though. But well, yeah. You know, I'm sh- and Fred gets that a lot, probably wherever he goes. 
but start playing Love Shack and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to end right now. Like of all the songs you could play, you could play Love Shack. And he was just like, oh, let's dance. And he was into it. And like, we're all dancing to Love Shack with Fred and he was just having the best time. And it was great. Like, so it worked that time. We've been, uh, the guys in Prairie Cartel have been threatening to put out a single, a cover of Colors by Ice-T. Okay. Sung in a Fred Schneider voice. And we're trying yeah. to track down Fred Schneider so he can actually do the Fred I'm, Schneider I'm sure voice. Sure, we'll do it. I can, I can hook you guys up. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking. Colors, 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 he, colors. Uh, he might, he might do that. Actually, he's he's pretty up for doing stuff. I think it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah. He loves doing projects. Um, <laughs> I actually, I did a project with him. This was great. So he's friends with Cassandra Peterson, Elvira. Okay. Uh, of course and, he is. And so I, I'd met Elvira through Fred, and he's like, "Listen, I I, I wrote a Halloween song for for Elvira, and <laughs> I want you to produce it." And I go, "Sure." So this is when I still had my place in L.A., and I realized, okay, so it was on Third Band, which was kind of cool. It was like going to yeah. be a single, uh, A and a B side, and I'm like, "All right." I'll produce this. This is going to be great. And I'm kind of like trying to find out like, okay, what's the budget? Uh, who's the thing? And I soon find out like, like, no, there's no budget. And I realized like, oh, they're not putting up their money either. So I guess I'm paying for this. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, kind of like, all right, that's fine. I'll pay. You know, I, I didn't really have to pay for much. I just had to like get a friend of mine to play drums, give him like 200 bucks, a friend of mine to mix it, give him like three, three fifty. Right. I had to right. get like a headphone splitter amp. <laughs> so uh-huh. I could record Elvira singing and Fred at the same time. Like I wasn't set up for that. So I, I, I dropped about like 800 bucks and we record, I, um, uh, basically uh, the song was kind of, kind of written and I just produced it and put the track together and I had Elvira at my house and Fred, and uh, he wrote the lyrics and she sang and it was just great. And it came out, came out on third band. It's a, a single. It's called Two Big Pumpkins. You writing that one down there, Ben? Yeah. I think we've okay. got our closing song. Oh, yeah. Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so, but that's pumpkins. <laughs> but that's Fred. That's just Fred like had some idea. He was like, probably like, I don't know, eating breakfast. He's like, oh, you know, it'd be great. Like, I should do, I should do like a Halloween song with Elvira. Like, and then it happens. So is it a boob joke or is he saying that yeah. they're both two big pumpkins? No, it's a or is boob it joke. both? It's, yeah, it's no, a... the, all, well, once you hear the song, the lyrics are all about her boobs and it's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, come on, fellas, and you gals too, because I got something to show you. I'm proud to show them they're right up.
Haven't you met? Who haven't you met? I mean, this is just uh, you're killing everybody. me. Yeah, I met everybody. I should have, have, broke, met, have, I should have broke up my band in nineteen. Skunk Baxter, ninety-nine. I've never met Skunk, so you got me, Gabe. <laughs> I've right. never met Skunk. Yeah, you've never been in the same place at the same time. That's <laughs> also true. that. Yeah, right. yeah. What he's asking is, which do be you be? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be Michael McDonald, but you know, I think we all would. Oh, yeah. Let's hear your Michael McDonald. She had a place in his heart. That's pretty good. Now, nice. can you do Peg? Peg. <laughs> the greatest like a laser beam. vocal of all time. Yeah. It's a laser beam, though. It's like, yeah. Peg. It's just <laughs> right. there. You've seen that. Doesn't thing, waver. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Such a long way to go. How's it? What, what's your, how's your Lionel Richie? Let's hear that. Oh, I'm not going to do my Lionel. No, I, I, I work for Lionel now. <laughs> you you wait. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, I, I noticed that. Yeah. Lionel's awesome. Yeah. Don't get me started on Lionel. Come on. Give us the lowdown. Give us something. Lionel's the best, man. He's like the nicest guy. He's great. He's, I just, uh, so I just started playing with Lionel. So I, Is he I easy? Have, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, he's just a great guy is what he is. And he's written about like 40 hit songs. It's crazy. It's, it's incredible. Like he's super charming. He's genuine. He's just really funny and cool. And he's such a good entertainer and he works hard and he's a sweet guy. He cares about people, um, loves music, loves writing songs. I don't know. I just big fan of the guy. I'm just getting to know him, you know? Um, I've been playing on uh, American Idol, and he's been a judge on that for five years now. But so that's how it happened. Okay. Yeah, that's how I got my connection to to meeting Lionel. Um, yeah, his uh, his guitar player Ben uh, stopped playing with uh, the band. He's he's you know kind of retiring, doing some other stuff, and uh, uh, they reached out to me that you know Lionel was interested in having me uh, you know be his new guitar player and play with them, and so. Uh, I did my first shows in January. We've got a Vegas re- residency or he's got a Vegas re- residency going on. And uh, I played like five shows and then we just played the show in Saudi Arabia. So I'm six shows in so far. So it's a pretty new gig. But, oh, really? It, it's that new? Yeah. Yeah. I just started in January. Yeah. I had no idea. American Idol I've been doing for five years, but right. uh, the Lionel gig is is pretty new. Yeah. Jeez, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's we we did a gig, we did my first couple of gigs in Vegas. Um, the last night, Smokey Robinson was in like the third row, killing me. Oh uh, <laughs> man! And 
you know, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And we're playing the show. And there's a couple moments where, you know, the guitar player, like me in this case, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say like, oh, you know, it's you. Part where I, well, it's like I'm new. So I don't feel like I, it's my gig yet. You know, mm-hmm. it is. But like, I, I'm still like I'm the new guy. I'm just kind of getting comfortable. But, um, you know, like I, I got there to play, play the solo for like easy, uh, you know. And oh, I, you know, that's a good center, one. It's a great solo. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm playing that solo, and I I also play the solo for Hello, where I go out front for that too, and both of those times I'm playing those solos in each, each instance, and I'm like you know I'm going mm-hmm. and I'm doing my thing and I'm looking up and there's Smokey with those blue eyes just like looking at me, <laughs> I'm like holy shit you know and Hello and he, it's like he's looking. Like that's the actual Smokey Robinson looking at me, listening to me play. It's very intimidating and crazy and awesome. But wow, yeah, you've, yeah. You've had, you've had a long and winding road, my friend. I haven't played with McCartney, so you know. I, don't know. I think he's pretty happy with his guys. Yeah, you're have his to, guys are pretty you, damn good. You're gonna have to <laughs> Greg Galuli one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> Get Rusty when he's not looking. Yeah, no, Rusty's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, no, it's it's cool. Like playing all those. I've I've never played a gig where every song in the set was a top forty hit. <laughs> and that's not many the people game. have. Yeah, no, it's not like we play like I don't know twenty three songs or something. They're all hits. It's stacked. Yeah, every single like, holy shit! It's just amazing. Like, and half man. of them are off that one record. Yeah, well, between like what he's done with the Commodores and his solo career and the songs he's written for other artists, like, I mean, there's songs that aren't in the set that are hits that we don't play. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, What are the songs that you're playing that he wrote for other artists? Um, sometimes uh, Lady gets played. You know, he wrote that oh, for yeah. Kenny Rogers. Right. Uh, Endless Love, which, you know. He's on that. Yeah, he's on it. But you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. It's a duet, I guess. So, yeah. Um, what else do we play in the set? No, that's, I guess it's just that, but you know, still. So here's an idea, a version of endless love and I'm singing the Lionel part and Gabe sings the Diana Ross part. Could you produce that for us? Gabe (laughs) does remind me of a young Diana Ross. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Is Diana Ross on there? Yeah. Yeah. It's Diana Ross. Yeah. I gotta watch that movie again. Yeah, you don't have to watch the movie to <laughs> hear the song. Luckily, <laughs> man, this movie will never end. Hear the song. Watch the movie looking for Diana Ross. It's going to be a problematic night for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I watched. Uh, oh, never mind. You're just going to make fun of me. No, come on, let's hear it. I watched Dune on my again on my flight Ew. home from Saudi Arabia. What yeah. is wrong with you? Okay, first of all, it's two it's hours horrible. and thirty-five minutes. It kills a lot of time on a long flight. I could, I, I'll name five movies that you could watch instead. <laughs> they probably didn't have them in like the list of movies I could watch in my. Goodfellas life. was in that list on that no, flight. I know it because I took that flight. It's it was in there. It's on the HBO Max thing. I don't know. Goodfellas is Goodfellas. in there. I saw The Revenant and I watched that. You've never seen Goodfellas? No, I've seen Goodfellas. I'm talking about on the flight. I watched The Revenant. Uh, and that's that's a good movie. Unless you got a problem with that too. Uh, it's a little... Uh, 
showy. I mean, it's, ho- thing. it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. What do you, again, I don't know what your problem is with Dune. I think that movie's pretty fucking cool. But uh, I like movies that are entertaining, and I don't like to be bored for two was, and a half hours. I was entertained. I don't know. What, How? What, do you, what, How? Do you, what do you got against sand? Huh? <laughs> but Scott, in all fairness, you did. We, not. we ate you ever sand. been to the? You ever you been to the Indiana Dunes? You left. <laughs> I left after an hour. Yeah, yeah so you don't know anything about the other hour and a half. Yeah. Are you going to defend Dune? I'm just saying you, you shouldn't Are talk you about the two and a half. Dunes. <laughs> I like Dune. Sorry, I like okay. it. All right, Greg, tell me, <laughs> is the second two hours of the movie any more exciting than the first two hours of the movie? No. Okay. All right. Ben, but it's still cool. So is that? Well, it's a little more exciting. It's a little more exciting. Like it's build up in the first hour, and then the last hour and a half is kind of like where some people get killed. So there you go. Yeah. What other movies have you seen that? You know. You know what? I'll tell you. I'm going to give you this. So I was really liking that movie, and then we talked, and like, all right, well, maybe I should look at this with a a more discerning eye, critical eye, and I'm going to give you a couple things. Like they really sort of expediated the narrative a little bit quickly. Like when he's fighting Gurney. And like the sword penetrates the shield, you know, thing. And he goes, oh, you know, the slow sword penetrates the shield. Like, it's like, oh, that's just lazy writing. You know, yeah. like you just wanted to speed it. Right. So there, there are moments like, I'm gonna, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But that, well, you, uh, yeah. You know, they're doing a David Lynch thing at Music Box, uh, I think in two weeks or next week. Oh, wow. And they're going to show Dune. Want to go see that? Well, Let's yeah. Let's see I that. Like, I like that version of Dune. Let's let's go uh, take some peyote or something and go see that. That actually would be really fun. Um, I'm going to be in L.A. working, but ah, you, you you know what? You've lost that rock and roll feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I'll fly back for it. Actually, that sounds okay. like a great fucking time. I would do that in a heartbeat. That sounds amazing. Well, what you're doing is far more important and uh, and uh, useful. And just trying to make a living after two years of hanging out and by myself oh like, my god <laughs> well what did yeah. you do i mean you're not the kind of guy who sits still um so i was still working on american idol we were in the middle of our season and we went remote so that was all, like it was i was really grateful like we got to keep working and we had to finish the season out uh so i had to get more equipment i had to get like a ring light <laughs> Which I'm not yeah, using, by the right. way, today. Good. I'm, I'm like, fuck that thing. I hate those things. Yeah, I never want like, to see I, I can see again. it in your eyes. I know what's happening here. Yeah, it's too weird. Um, I got some gear, and then we would, we'd have to record all our parts separately, and then we'd make these videos where we'd have, you know, have to, like, submit the videos so they, they could choose, like, oh, okay, we can show Greg playing the solo or the part or whatever, or Joe, the bass player, playing this thing. And we'd go to... You know, we'd record the stuff. That's hard enough weekly. Right. We we do all these songs every week, and it's one thing to rehearse like as a band and do that. It's another thing to like have a chart and a click track in a Pro Tools session and be like, okay, I just I'm gonna record this whole song by myself and hope it lines up with what everyone else is playing. <laughs> and then they're like, we want you guys to make videos of everything you've done of you playing, so they could use it. So that would take like all day, like of kind of like faking it to like the track that you just recorded because you can't really right. sync it up to do the video with it. it just technically wasn't going to work so we would do that and then like you'd be you'd get like two minutes into the song and everything's going right and then you screw something up like miming it <laughs> yeah. like, oh that's gonna look really obvious i gotta start from the beginning and redo it so i would do that all day long and we'd submit upload our videos 
And like they would literally show like maybe like two seconds, <laughs> like right. one song on the broadcast of you just being like, <laughs> like all that. But like every week we'd have to do it because they're like, well, they might use it. So you got right. And I'm not complaining. It was great to have something to do. So that was like the first couple of months. And then we had our finale. We had like a Zoom party for the net. Like we usually we have like a rap party. This is like a Zoom rap party. Uh-huh. And all of us were like. <laughs> And like, you know, there are like a million little screens on the Zoom chat. And we're all like, hey, having a drink. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was kind of fun. And then all of a sudden, like the Zoom chat got cut whenever it did. And it's like my screen went blank and I'm like shit faced. I'm like by myself. Like, oh, all right. Now, I guess it's just me again. Reality sets in. I guess I'll go fuck myself. <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, that was weird. And then, then it was like summertime and everything was shut down. I did, I did like nothing. I, I worked on music. I got into pinball. I bought a bunch of pinball machines. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I have a bunch of pinball machines. Like I was just getting bored. Um, yeah, it was weird. Like, you know, people like us musicians, like lifers as your show uh-huh. is called. Right. I mean, thank you. Really, thank you. Yeah. I'm a lifer. Like I, I don't know what else to do with myself. If I'm not on tour playing music, performing, all I've ever done. It gives me like my sense of identity, uh, my sense of like self-worth. I, right. I only realized this during the pandemic, really, truly. Um, when you take that away, I was pretty lost, man. Like I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm, I, my purpose is. And yeah, yeah but do you, get, do you get the sense that people don't have any sympathy for that? Like, yeah, sure. And that's you heard fine. of people who are like, we'll get another job. And it's like, motherfucker. I mean, You've been doing. When did you start playing guitar? I was like eight, seven. I mean, you've basically been working at this your whole life, and for oh, somebody yeah. just to flippantly say, "Just get another job," is so aggravating to me. You know, I mean, and it's, it's fine. disrespectful. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, but I didn't get into this kind of line of work or pursuit to be, you know, for respect. For respect. I gotta, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, as know. soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, Wait, <laughs> Scott, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. As um, usual. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, I, I just, it's just confusing. Like I, I think I've had conversations with a lot of people about this, like Sterling Campbell, the drummer from the B-52s. He's really like wonderful, thoughtful person. And we've had these long conversations about how, when you tour like the way you have, the way I have, the way he has uh, an entire lifetime. I mean, that guy's toured with Soul Asylum, David Bowie, Cindy Lauper, like, yeah. you know, B-52s, like, you know, you know, you dedicate a whole life to it. You, you're a changed person, like you're institutionalized, like Shawshank right. Redemption style. Like you, you can't just assimilate into the general population in the same way. You not to say like, oh, I'm a rock star. It's not like that. It's more just that that lifestyle is so overwhelming and so all inclusive and so just it just demands everything of you 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 really do give your entire life to the thing and you know me like i don't have kids i don't have a wife you know i don't have any of that stuff and that's fine i didn't really want to get any of those things anyway i guess um but you there's really not much of an opportunity for those things i think the guys i know who do what we do who have like a wife and kids they had to make a real effort to make that a priority yeah. And whereas I, again, not to diminish other kinds of work, but I think it just makes sense, you know, when you're home most of the time, yeah, maybe I'll get like a partner, you know, maybe I'll have a kid or something just seems to kind of be like reasonable. 
when you're on the road doing what we do, like, I don't know how they do it, man. I don't know how you like go away for six months and not see your kid yeah, and stuff like that. Like that sounds terrible to me. I know that people do it and my hat's off to them. It's crazy. But like doing this thing, it's, it's everything. Like I, all I do is like when I'm, I play a show, I think, fuck, I sucked that show. I fucked that one thing up. I screwed this one thing up. I could have been better. Like, man, my energy wasn't there. Wow. That one moment was really great. That's every night. And it keeps going and it never ends. And you never go like, yeah, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud of some of the things that I've been able to do in my career. Like people playing like what we talked about, people like Joe Walsh and B-52, stuff like that. Lionel Richie, like these are incredible things, but I don't sit there and go like, yeah, I've really done something great. Haven't I? Like I sit around and I think like, fuck man, you gotta be better. Like yeah. you, there's, there's more work to do. There's more things to do. Like it's, you're never satisfied. It's it's all consuming. This kind of thing, and, and and it's a great thing. I'm not saying it's bad. It's it's great. But when you take that away during the two years of the pandemic, more or less, like it's it's just confusing. It's just confusing. Like I I I, don't, I to this day I don't know how to process that. And I remember seeing like reading an article in the Trib that you were playing like a drive-in early early days of the pandemic. Yeah, I was just like, that's fucking great. Like <laughs> that's something. Yeah. What was that yeah. like? It was cool, but you know, but I know what you're talking about. It's really hard to like have that taken away because you feel like, you know, what a, what a, like you're out of shape, you know, and the muscle memory goes away. And like, like when we went back on tour every night, I was killing myself, like going, you're not as good as you were before. You don't have that thing, you know, and it took about a month for me to stop beating myself up. Yeah. And then by that time you realize you've wasted a month beating yourself up. So yeah. you swore to yourself, you'd never do again, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing about performing. Like it's happening one way or another, Yeah. you know, like that you try to prepare as much as you can in the bedroom and make everything go perfectly. But when the moment happens, you're on stage, it's just going to happen. Yeah. So it's kind of what you do with that time and what you do with that performance. You, you get too caught up in like your plan you're, you're in trouble. Like you right. gotta scrap the plan. You just got to right. do what, what's, what, ha- what is happening and go with right. it. Right. Yes. That, that's exactly. one thing I've learned. Yeah. 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 Your plans mean nothing. <laughs> right. Right. The audience is laughing instead of God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you guys sounded great at the other night at Fitzgerald's. I thought it was awesome. I think you still got it. Well, it was good to see you. It was nice that you were there. It meant a lot to me and you yeah. stuck around. I couldn't believe it. Nobody sticks yeah. around for us anymore. I've, I'm, my old I'm buddies. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> why like, I'm better than everyone else. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm a lifer. And, and, and a, a horn tutor, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was fun. I, I, was, I was stoked that you, that you guys were playing. It was great. Um, yeah, your drummer's great, too. I like, he's, he's rad. The guy's cool. Yeah, he's okay. He sounded good. He sounded good, man. He's not bad. He's all right. You were, fuck, you were loud too. I got to say it was loud as hell. I love it. A friend of mine would always say, the louder you are, the more fun you have. And uh, I've tried to live my life by those words. Yeah, it works. It's great. It was refreshing for me to see that again and experience it. I'm like, man. And also in a room like Fitzgerald. So they're not used to that. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. Like everybody that came in, uh, that was working there. The guy behind the bar, he goes, you get some earplugs? And they go, uh, no. He goes, you should get some earplugs. Trust me, you're going to need some earplugs tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just said that. Everybody came in. You got earplugs? I got you some earplugs. You're going to need these. 
you'll thank me later. Yeah. And I was like, instead of being offended, I was like, cool. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. It was great. It was cool for me too, to see like, you know, you, you work really hard. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see that at the end of the show, you're back there by the merch table, signing everything. Everyone wanted to be signed, you know, selling like t-shirts, CDs, whatever. And, yeah. um, you know, win a date with Scott Lucas, you're doing all that stuff, <laughs> you know, kissing booth, you know, yeah. you were, you were there like just making it work. Like, but that, that's what it means to be in a band. Like, that's it. You got to work it. And you know, you're working hard. I, I, it's cool to see, man. I, I, I loved it. Well, I'd rather play with Joe Walsh. Oh, okay. Well, you can't. So, you know, you won, you win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just on a date with Scott Lucas from local H, uh, at, after Fitzgerald's. That was, yeah. that was a nice date. Well. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> that's how they usually well. end. Yeah, that's how they usually end. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That was a good All right, time, man. Yeah. It was uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Oh yeah. I no could... problem. Sorry. I was going on and on, but I appreciate it. No, I could talk to you all night. It, uh, um, this is going to be a bitch to edit. Yeah, I know. Long episode. Just, uh, maybe we'll do, do a two-parter. We've done them before. Okay. Do your worst. Let's see how it goes. When do you go back to LA? Uh, well, I go to Vegas on Monday. I've got uh, a week of shows with Lionel uh, in Vegas again, and then I go oh, to Lionel. Idol. Really? Yeah, Lionel. you know, you know, Lionel. Yeah. Lionel. I used to, I used to play in local H. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, nah, 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 nah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I used to play in that band. <laughs> Give my best to Lionel. I will. <laughs> I'll see you in Vegas. You got to come to a show. It's fun. You'll have a good time. I think you'd like it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to fly out time. to Vegas? Yeah. I'll fly you out. How about that? How about <laughs> okay. win a date with Greg Saran? You just won. Congratulations. All right. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not paying for it, but, you know. Hello? You're not paying for it? I'll, we'll, we'll get one of your listeners to pay for it. We'll do like a fundraiser. <laughs> Go fund me. How about that? More like a go fuck yourself. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to say that all night. That's right. On that note. On that note.
to make it Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be I'm not happy when I try to fake it No Why I'm easy I'm easy like Sunday morning That's why I'm easy I'm easy like Sunday morning Sunday morning. 